Can we pray? Can we just stop right here just for a moment? And um, let's pray. Let's do that. God, we are um, we're so thankful that you are that you're here. And we, we come from so many different places this morning. And some of us need to be reminded this morning that you are the lifter of our head. And we thank you that you have the power and the authority. You give grace. You do this for us. God, we understand you do it for us, for your glory. And so now as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we pray that we would um, listen attentively, not to the words that come out of my mouth, but to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And that we would leave here better equipped. We would leave here encouraged. God, we would leave here knowing that we have the opportunity to make much of you. Understanding, God, that requires making very little, if nothing at all, of ourselves. We thank you for these moments together. Help us not to take them lightly, as Steve already mentioned this morning. We come expecting you to do big things because of who you are. And we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever thought about the fact that no matter where you go or what you're doing, that you're constantly proclaiming something? As I thought about that this week, I thought there are a number of different ways that we proclaim something. Um, Oftentimes you see people proclaim things in the way that they dress or what they wear. And so you may be brand loyal, right? And so there's there's something about the clothes that you wear, and you're proclaiming that you, you like that brand. Perhaps it's uh, through your favorite sports team, right? And so you can't go out of the house without wearing something that says, hey, look at me, I'm a fan of so-and-so. Some are more obnoxious than others, right? And so there's, there's that. Perhaps you, you proclaim things with the words that you utter, right? You, you, um, your, your speech can be, can be seasoned with, with truth and grace, or it can be rather sour, or maybe there's, there's another way to proclaim, and it's just by the, the, the look or the disposition of your face, right? And so some of you right now are proclaiming that you would rather be somewhere else. Some of you are proclaiming you're hungry, right? And who is this guy? Um, some of us, my, my wife says sometimes I can be a cranky old man, which is, I think, um, a disservice to old men. Um, and, uh, and so sometimes I don't have a welcoming, you know, uh, face. Some people have very pleasant Dispositions, and you know you can go to them for anything. I'm not one of those guys. But I promise you I love you and I want you to come talk to me, right? But no matter where we go, no matter who we run into, no matter what our moods are, that we are constantly proclaiming something. And sometimes that can be seen as a, a scary thing, right? That, oh my word, like, like for me, like what am I proclaiming in my facial expressions or in my body language? And other times it can be a welcomed challenge, like, I want to be approachable, or I want people to know who I am and, and for what I stand, right? I, I, want to, I want people to understand who I am. But this morning, I want us to consider what we are proclaiming. If 
you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, we'll, we'll read verses 24 through 29. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God, from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him. Your translation may, may say um, uh, uh, that, it may say something different. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Let me give you a little background as to what's going on in uh, the book of Colossians. While Paul was in Ephesus, he sent out men to go and do likewise, right? And so he sent out a gentleman by the name of Epaphras who would eventually settle and start the church at Colossae. And so the Colossian church um, is a result of the work of Epaphras. So Epaphras is now reporting back to Paul some of the things that are going on in this church that he started. And Paul gives a great greeting in verse 1 of chapter 1. His greeting is followed, we'll look at that in a minute, but it's followed by a time of thanksgiving for the faith and for the love of the Christians that are making up the Colossian church, most of whom are Gentiles. Paul goes on and, and he tries to um, describe the greatness or the preeminence of Christ in all things. He mentions that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That through him and for him all things were created. He then goes on and he writes of the redemptive work of Jesus. And he talks about the goal, the purpose of his ministry and his work. Ultimately, I think when you look at Colossians chapter 1, the main idea of this text is this. is that Paul wants to be a good steward of the gospel. This is a people that he has not laid his eyes on. This is, he's relying on the reports from Epaphras, and yet he has such um, a, a, a unique love for this church because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And as he's writing this letter, he wants to make sure that they understand who he is, what he's about, and then we see that he wants to be a good steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, I'd love for us to consider what our lives and our ministries could look like if we got serious about moving past what we can label or I would label moral obligations and move towards being good stewards of the gospel or spiritual stewards. I think there are a few things in our text this morning that will help us with this. First, we have to understand that there is a calling on the life of every believer. Paul writes in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. He's writing this and he says, let me, let me make sure you understand who I am. The call of God on your life 
is sometimes the only thing that will get you through the messes of life. The call of God on your life is the only thing that's going to get you through the messes of your life or the everyday ebbs and flow of life. What we know about the call of God on Paul's life, what we know about the call of God on our life, is that it produces clarity. And clarity always helps when it comes to direction and purpose. And let me illustrate this for you. This is an old illustration. Some of you will get it and others won't. How many of you uh, remember the time where if you had to ask for directions, you had to go and ask somebody for directions, right? Or you'd have to pull out a, a map. We still have a map in our, in our, in our van. We drive a minivan. And uh, we still have a map in that. And our kids love to look at the map. And they just kind of figure out where we're going. But you remember the days where you have to go ask someone for directions. Now I know that's, that's a foreign concept because all we have to do is pull our phones out, type in the address, and our phones tell us how to get there. But I remember, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember those days where you had to ask someone for directions. And if someone gave you bad directions, inevitably you got lost. And you'd have to stop and you'd have to ask somebody else for directions. And you're thinking, who is this bozo that gave me these directions, right? We had no clarity. Sometimes we, we come across times when we're trying to figure out where to go and there was no clarity. There was no direction in, our, in our, our pursuit to get from point A to point B. I say all that to say this. I think that Paul is a man who had clarity because he understood his purpose. His directions were clear. His purpose was clear. He had clarity because of the purpose and the direction in his life. And I think that, um, that we see that. And when he says this, he says, An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul, here I am addressing this church, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle of Jesus Christ because God said so. That's my paraphrase. That Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ because God willed. God said so. And I think there's a lot of authority that comes from these God said so directives in our life. And that authority that we have in our lives because of these God-said-so directives should be enough when it comes to the hardships that come our way as we're pursuing Him and all that we say and do. Paul mentions a few words here in this chapter that let his readers know that the call on the Christian's life, a Christian's life is not a call to participate in a cakewalk. It's not going to be easy. He uses words like this, sufferings and afflictions. In verse 29, we see he says labor, or your translation may say toil or striving. Each of these words describes effort. When Paul uses the word striving, we get the picture of an athletic pursuit. That there is much work involved, that there's a competition. In other words, that something is on the line. And because something is on the line, Paul says, I am striving towards a goal. I'm working for you. Wright comments and he says this, Paul does not go about his work half-heartedly, hoping vaguely that grace will fill in the gaps which he is too lazy to work at himself. Paul is at work. Paul is working because he understands his call. We know that Paul is writing this letter to the church from a Roman jail. Paul is in jail. And I know that those of us who are familiar with the story of Paul and his life and his work and his ministry, we hear that all the time about Paul, right? Well, Paul's in jail when he's writing this letter. Paul had just been shipwrecked. Or Paul has a thorn in his side. Or Paul had just been left for dead. We hear it all the time, and I think we become numb to that. But can we just sit and think just for a second that Paul is in jail as he's writing this letter? Paul is in chains 
because of his call. The Apostle Paul, writing to a church, encouraging them. There's nothing that's really negative in this this letter to the Colossian church. He's trying to correct a few things, but, but he understood a few things that I think we need to understand as believers. Paul is in chains because of his calling. How in the world could Paul have such a positive outlook? I think it's because he understood that his present circumstances did not determine his final destination. I think it's because he understood he still had a platform, even in a Roman jail, even chained, he had a platform. His position didn't determine his outlook or deter him from continuing to do the work which God had so clearly equipped him to do. I think if we can pause for a second, we understand that there's, there's a moment of application here for us. If I may, I, I think I'll say this. We tend to get so caught up in the busyness of life and forget the reason for life. And for us as believers, the, the reason for our life as a Christian, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think that we need to wait for a better position. Perhaps we need to wait for a bigger platform. Or maybe we need to wait for a completely different season in our life to be more effective as believers in Jesus Christ as we try to carry out the gospel. I don't think this could be any further from the truth. And and, and frankly, I believe it's a, a scheme of the enemy that would detract us from any effort whatsoever. Paul understood his calling. We must understand our calling and walk equipped by God's will in our life. And so we see in Paul a man who understood that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God because God said so. He had a clear calling. Secondly, we see that Paul had a clear message. In verse 28, we see the words, we proclaim him. Paul goes on in this text and then even in the verses before verses 24 through 29, and he talks about the centrality of Christ in his mission, in his ministry. We see that specifically in verses 15 through 20. The preeminence of Christ in his life and as a direct result of his ministry. Paul preached Jesus. It was simple. That's what he did. Paul preached Jesus. Paul did not preach himself. It's fascinating to go and look through the epistles, through the letters that Paul wrote. He told the church to look at him as an example, but he never really put himself on this huge pedestal. He didn't preach himself. He did not preach his own opinions. He didn't come up with cute stories to try to capture the attention of his reader or his audience, but he simply preached Jesus. And if I may, just so that we're not confused here, he simply preached Jesus in the most profound way possible, right? We see that throughout all of his writings, but the point is this, that Paul had a clear, concise Message and that was Jesus. You know what's interesting? When you are proclaiming something, you're, you're holding it, the object of your proclamation, you're holding it above all else. This is the thing that matters the most in your life. When you're proclaiming it, it could be for the day, it could be for a week, it could be for a month, for a, whatever it might be, that you're holding it above everything else in your life. And I think it's possible, and we've done this, to go through life and have several different it's that we proclaim. I think it has a whole lot to do with maturity. I think it has a whole lot to do with wisdom. 
And certainly there are times on which we can reflect and, and be a little disappointed in our it. Certainly there are also times where we can reflect and be very proud of our it, the object of our proclamation. It can be trivial. It can be meaningful. It can be anything else in between. But for us as believers, as the church, we understand, we have to understand, we walk understanding that our it is Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. What it are you proclaiming right now? Just take a moment of reflection. What it did you walk through the doors of this sanctuary proclaiming this morning? What is the thing that you hold above all else? What is the object of your attention and your effort and your toil and your struggle, whatever it might be? I think an easy way to answer that is perhaps tomorrow at work, ask your coworkers, what, what comes to mind when you hear my name? What's the one word that you would use to describe me? Or perhaps you can go home this afternoon and ask your friends or your family, what's the one word that comes to mind when you hear my name? When you see me coming, what do you think? Does that word line up with anything that we find in Scripture? Does it line up with the fruit of the Spirit? Paul outlines in Galatians. Does it line up with any attributes of God that we see throughout Scripture? Does that word line up with anything that Paul says perhaps in Philippians 4.8? Or does that word that comes to mind when people think of you, the thing that you're proclaiming the most, that it in your life, does that it or that word point to yourself? Does it point to your job? Does it point to your position? Does it, does it point to the season of life you're in currently? Does it point to your favorite sports team? Does it point to your political affiliation? What's the one word? When people think of you, this is the word that comes to mind. Here's what I want us to understand this morning. That, that our proclamation matters. Your priorities matter. Your story matters. Your testimony matters. Your message, the message that you're proclaiming every single day, whether you realize it or not, matters. Paul's message, Him we proclaim. Jesus we proclaim. Above all else, I want to be a man who makes much of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 25, to to carry out the preaching of the word, the mystery that has been hidden. This This is his motivation, that he has the opportunity to present to Gentiles. He has an opportunity to, to tell the church, to say, hey, as you are going, right, to fulfill the Great Commission, to, to make the hidden God visible in the form of Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to to, to make Jesus known. The mystery is God's love that's manifest to us as sinners who are hostile towards Him. That's the mystery. That you have the opportunity to say, hey, God loves you. And He's for you. 
And He's worked out a plan of redemption for you. And you can find salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's available to every man. Paul's call was clear. Paul's message was simple, yet we can all agree, very, very profound. And Paul's audience was broad. We look lastly at Paul's method. We see in verse 28, every man, every man. I think in this text, in verses 21 and following, we see a few things. Let's start with the hard work of evangelism. In verse 21 and 22, Paul says this, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless. Paul takes an opportunity to remind the church of their previous standing with God. He makes sure that his readers understand that they were lost, that they were hostile, that they were doomed apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. And we know that the same is true of you and me. As believers, we understand that that is true of us, was true of us. We're reminded of the words of Paul in another letter that he wrote, this one to Timothy. He says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was made more uh, more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example of those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love what Paul says here. You've heard it echoed many, many times. I'm the chief sinner. Like in a room full of sinners, I'm the biggest sinner. And I think there's such great comfort in that. And understanding that, you know what, I'm not alone. There's vulnerability in that, right? To say, hey, just in case you want to um, you know, compare what's going on in my life and what's going on in your life, like I promise you I'm a worse sinner than you, right? The opportunity that we have as believers to look at one another in the eyes and say, hey, we're in this thing together. You can take off the mask. You can stop playing the game like, hey, I'm a sinner too. I mess up every single day. Paul makes it abundantly clear. I am the chief sinner. So the contest of of who is the biggest, baddest, nastiest sinner has been won by Paul, right? (laughs) But wait a minute, what, what about me? Paul doesn't know. Philip Turner. But God intervened. We were once hostile, once enemies of God. And here's, here's what we have to understand. 
that it was, it was someone's evangelistic efforts prompted and equipped by the Holy Spirit. All right? It was someone's evangelistic efforts that was prompted and equipped by the Holy Spirit coupled with the work of the Holy Spirit drawing you into right relationship with God that took you and me from the realm of enemy of God to the realm of friend of God. We were formerly hostile toward God in mind and action, Paul says in this text. But yet we were reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We were brought from darkness and placed into light. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5.8. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So there's this reminder for us, reminder for the original audience that you were once hostile, you were once an enemy of God, but now you are a friend of God made possible through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And so evangelism has taken place in the reader's life, evangelism has taken place in our life, and we thank God for it. Because apart from the saving work of Jesus, we're still enemies of God. So there's the evangelistic work, there's the hard work of evangelism, and then we see the hard work of discipleship. Look at what Paul says in the next few verses, the benefit of discipleship. In verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. There's this call to continue in the faith, to be stable and steadfast. Continuing to, 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 to work in the faith requires effort. It requires work. Our roots have to go deeper. We allow our roots to grow as we continue to focus on what? Paul says, the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we understand this takes effort. It takes work. We cannot do it on our own. Our efforts, eventually, on our own will fade. And Paul knew that. And I think that's why he offered an explanation for his work. One commentator put it this way, It's always the inner that governs the outer. And it little avails us to try to whip our energy to work harder for God. That may succeed for a moment, but it will soon exhaust itself and we shall revert to being tepid again. Can I paraphrase that? Just in case you don't understand what the word tepid is. I had to look it up. Uh, what, what's inside will always motivate what's outside. If we're motivated by self to do God's work, we are fools. We may be able to handle it for a day or for, for a, a moment or for a season, but eventually it will not last. And Paul understood the secret, the motivation behind the outward work. It wasn't man's applause. It wasn't man's recognition. It wasn't because tradition mandated it. It wasn't even because he thought it was the right thing to do at that time. But rather in verse 29 we see what he says. He says, For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul describes it a bit differently. He says, But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. The grace of God with me. It was God working in Paul that allowed him to do all the things that he was doing. Why? To what end? In verse 28, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. I love that in, in the New American Standard you see the phrase every man three times within that one verse. 
every man, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Here's what we know about the goal of Paul's ministry. The goal of Paul's ministry was the maturity of every believer, the perfection of every believer. The purpose of his toil was maturity. That the believer would have total dependence and satisfaction in Jesus and nothing else or no one else. And I think we have to look no further than this indicator of maturity within ourselves. Are we working as hard for the maturity of those around us? See, our faith leads us to work. The Great Commission requires work. We have to stop going through the motions because we understand that that simply is not enough. Going past moral obligations and into being good stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Morgan writes this, Therefore, the aim of this epistle, and indeed all other apostolic work, is admonishing and teaching every man toward the realization of perfection in Christ because that issues in the perfecting of the whole church, and that's us. I think we understand and we're able to apply this concept and so much more that we see in Colossians. When we're able to move past more obligation and towards spiritual stewardship. We're able to, 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 to be excited and roll up our sleeves to do the hard work of discipleship and evangelism and worship and reconciliation. To shift priorities, to make sure that our families understand who we are and what we're about. To look at our finances, to look at our jobs, whatever it might be. We do all of this as Paul did, but we do it only through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace given to us through Jesus Christ. So what did, what did Paul say? Striving according to his power. So let me close with this. It's the only way that we can come along a brother or a sister in Christ to offer encouragement or, or even a general correction. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, reminded of God's grace. It's the only way that we can have boldness in our evangelistic efforts, empowered by the Holy Spirit and reminded of God's grace. And by the way, it's the only way that we can look into the eyes of someone who is desperately in need of a Savior with a broken heart and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit and reminded of God's grace. It's the only way that we can worship as a church in spirit and in truth Understanding that worship is not about me and it's not about you, but it's about, uh, it's about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We do so empowered by the Holy Spirit and reminded of God's grace. It's the only way that we can swallow pride and seek to do the work, the hard work of reconciliation and restoration in a relationship that is damaged. Perhaps it's with a brother or sister in this room or maybe it's someone outside of the walls of this church. We do so empowered by the Holy Spirit and reminded of God's grace. It's the only way that we can shift priorities within our families or, or maybe within our finances. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Reminded of God's grace. We're able to do all of these things. As a church, collectively, as individuals, in the body of Jesus Christ. We're able to do all of these things as we proclaim Him in all things. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Reminded of God's grace. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather, to worship, to experience fellowship here this morning, to hear your word. And now, God, I pray that we would have wisdom and clarity to be able to apply your word to our lives for your glory. As we move into this time of invitation, God, I pray 
that you would move. You would help us to do all the things that we need to do to make much of you and very little of ourselves. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Perhaps this morning you need to shift some priorities in your life. The altar will be open for you to come and make that commitment. Or maybe you realize you're not in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd love to talk to you about that. We'd have staff down here as well and counselors that would love to talk to you about that. However the Holy Spirit is leading, you take a few moments and respond. Let's stand and the choir will sing.